If you guys follow BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, the three, three mega funds, they manage about $23 trillion. They are the lar- two largest shareholders, I think in, in 495 of the Fortune 500 companies. About three companies own every hotel on the Las Vegas Strip. We think we're shopping at, ah, oh, screw the MGM Grand, I'm going to the Cosmopolitan. Like, it's the same yeah. company. Welcome to the Millionaire Mentorship Podcast, where we talk all things business, real estate, and entrepreneurship. Today, we've got an awesome dude, Bridger Pennington out of Salt Lake City, Utah, who is a fund manager, has several funds. He's going to get into all of that on the show today. And this is like something in my career that I have not done yet. So I'm super excited to talk to Bridger today. Bridger, welcome to the show. Troy, good to be on. Fun to hang out, dude, but thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate you uh, giving us the plug on Kansas City. So that means that you're rooting for us for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I actually have. I mean, I, we don't have an NFL team here in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I, I follow college football way more. But I Kansas City is probably my favorite team. I, if I was going to follow a team, it'd be Kansas City. That's the right so, answer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we got Taylor Swift. Your wife's probably yeah, in yeah, right now. Got, we got Patrick. You're Ed, though. You're your coach, man. He's awesome. Um, we, we go to the same church, me and Ed. And then anyways, I've just followed him for years and liked his stuff. So. Yeah, you're a Latter Day Saint, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. So, that's, so is Ed, cool. Ed Reed, man, with his big belly. See that? Guy, I love those videos of him laughing and it like jumps, or he says "hut." Have you seen that? He's like "hut," and his whole belly jumps. Yeah, oh man. man, I love. I've, I've, uh, yeah, he's he's a funny dude. So he's 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 Mormon as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that about Andy Reed. Yep. That's interesting. Sorry, it's not Ed Reed. Andy Reed. Excuse me. I was saying Andy Ed. Reed. Yeah, Andy we, Reed. we all know what you're talking about. Yeah, sorry. I meant Andy Reed. But yeah, he uh yeah, he's he's LDS, so Yeah, it's pretty fun. You know, one thing I love about um I just had a student join my program and like a lot of the Mormon guys I know, they do, you know, they did a mission and they spoke they uh learn how to speak a different language. They learn how to all these great skill sets like not door knock and selling religion. Um, you know, tell us about like who you are uh right now and like how you became who you are, basically. How'd you get to where you're at right now? Yeah, I'll give you some, just the 30 seconds that we can dive in deeper. But I, I did serve a, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. So we've kind of moved away from the term Mormon to like Church of Jesus Christ is what our main name is. But yeah, I served in Taiwan. Uh, okay. I spoke Mandarin Chinese for two years, knocked doors, rode bikes every single day. It was pretty awesome. Um, I then got into college. I started six different businesses my first years of college. We can dive into that story more if you want. And then I got to figure out the world of funds. My dad was running a massive decabillion dollar fund. I didn't know this. And, yeah. um, and then now today we've launched fund launch. I run two investment funds currently. Um, I run a hedge fund in the crypto space. We just launched a GP stakes fund. So we, today we can dive into all about funds, fund structure. My dad's run, you know, decabillion dollar funds in real estate. And then we've now helped, we've helped 240 people launch funds in the last two years, just out of our top group called black Card. So we started building a service to, to help people launch funds. So I've, we've helped people do private equity, venture capital, real estate funds, debt funds. I mean, Almond farm funds, funds that are flipping scripts on Hollywood funds, funds that are buying shipping containers out of China and putting them in Brazil. I mean, we have the craziest funds in our group. It's pretty cool. Um, and so we started to consolidate people around the world that are all running funds, managing funds, boutique funds, large funds, et cetera. It's been pretty, uh, it's been pretty cool to be a part of. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I went to your fund launch. I think we established it was sometime in 2022. It seems like way more, longer ago than that. But I was really impressed by the way you set it up, like the boxes, the swag boxes, you know, and not to mention your ability to really command a crowd as such a, how, how young are you? Uh, 28 years old. If I was to like, just when I, I mean, you don't look at number one, you, you know, you keep, keep a beard. Well, I you, keep this, this Viking beard going, dude. I gotta, I gotta look a little older. Actually, I had a, I had someone tell me that's, I don't usually say my age. I've had, I had a mentor tell me, do not tell people your age. Um, just don't tell them, let them yeah. guess what your age is. Cause people will make a judgment based off your age. But I started my first fund at age 22. Um, we started a fund launch. I was like 24 and we started to bring in coaches and mentors, other people around the world. Right. Um, now fund launch is an eight figure company. We just got a pretty awesome sizable eight figure offer to anyways, kind of cool LOIs sent to us and other stuff. So it's, it's been, it's been fun. I'm still in the game though. I run an eight figure hedge fund as well. Um, yeah. still in the game right now and still running and still, still doing it. So I'm right in the middle, but it's pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, telling us all that. And I didn't mean to ask your age, but my biggest compliment to that is just how you how you conduct yourself. Because I would have never guessed it. Like until you started talking up there, and I'm like doing the math, and I'm like, your dad looks like a pretty young guy. Like this guy's got to be like, you know, you you do not. You strike me as somebody who grew up in Wall Street. You know, you, you speak the talk, you know the language, and you know, kind of as I look at myself and try to grow, 
I want to build a read. I want to build a fund. I want to like do all this cool stuff. So for somebody who's like trying to get into the fund space, what would you recommend? Like the be- would you recommend them to start with a syndication or how would you recommend someone to get going? Yeah, I'll 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 tell you a quick story, kind of how I got into it at least. So I grew up, like I said, I started six businesses in my first years of college, and I actually grew up in a very normal household. My dad drove a car with a dent in the door, like nothing fancy. And I went to college and I was doing all these businesses. And finally, my dad says, Bridger, you're kind of like a chicken with your head cut off. Go talk to my business partner. This guy can really help you out. So I went and talked to my dad's business partner. And this guy lives in this gorgeous, huge white mansion. I pull up to his house. It's like massive. And we lived in a, nothing bad, but just a normal house. And this guy was in this huge place. I mean, cars, pool, basketball court in his basement, like the whole thing. I get in the, I walk in the house. We sit down on these huge couches and I start to talk to this guy. And, um, we start to discuss life and business. And I, and he finally, I kind of ask him like, how did you get all of this? Like, how'd you do this? Like, how'd you get in the fun space or whatever you're doing? Like, let me know. And he goes, Bridger, years ago, I met a guy. He's one of the youngest, most wealthy people I'd ever met. And he ran a private equity fund. And he's like, I didn't even know what a, what the words private equity meant. <laughs> but he goes, yeah. I looked at this guy and I said, I didn't care. He goes, I, I wanted, I didn't care if it took me one year, five years or 20 years. I was going to figure out what a fund was, how to start one or how to get into one and be involved in this game. This is the game I wanted to be into. Right. This is the secrets of the ultra wealthy. This is how the people in high finance play the game. Um, they play through funds, whether it's family office funds, hedge funds, private debt funds, whatever the type of fund is. And so he goes, that's what we did. And he goes, we, uh, we started some funds years ago. And currently at the time they managed $8 billion of real estate. Um, to put that into perspective, that's what two times bigger than Cardone Capital is today. Now that this was years ago today, I think they're over 10 times bigger than Cardone Capital, their funds. Um, so 10 X uncle G nothing, nothing wrong with uncle G, but just that just give you a scale of how big these funds are. And so, um, I was, I was super impressed to talk to this guy and I asked him the same question. How do I, can I, how do I get into this? How do I start doing this? And he said, Pridger, go talk to your dad. Your dad knows way more about us than I do. And I said, no, my dad's broke. He drives a crappy car. You're rich. Like, I want to learn from you. I'd love to learn from you. And he goes, Bridger, sorry to break it to you, but um, me and your dad make about the same amount of money. And I was like, huh? Like, come again? He's like, yeah, me and your dad are pretty much equal business partners. And so I, I left the dude's house. I drove straight to my dad's house. I was like, dad, what the, like, what the heck? Like, what's been going on? Why haven't I been able to order like a dessert at dinner for the last 10 years? Because it's too expensive. And yet you're managing billions of dollars of, of real estate. And so anyways, long story short, my dad started to teach me about funds. I, I would go over every Sunday night, I'm in college and he would get a whiteboard out sort of teach me about how funds work, how parallel funds are, Luxembourg, Cayman Island funds, feeder fund structures, like how to raise capital, all the stuff around funds. Yeah. And um, so that's a long story of way to, to answer your question, but this is what happened for me. I started to learn about this space. And yeah. what's funny is when you start to learn about a certain industry or space, it's kind of like... Um, if you ever bought a new car, yeah, you, know, you start noticing that car driving around everywhere. Like I, I have a Tesla, I drive a Tesla Plaid right now, and I, oh, so yeah. cool! I got my Tesla Plaid, and then all of a sudden I see Plaids everywhere. I see a Plaid yeah. over here and there, like a, you know. And I was like, "There's not magically more cars. You just pay attention to that thing." And the same thing was true with me about funds. I started to learn about funds, and I started to see it in every industry on Earth. I started to see opportunities that I could get into the fund space. Right now, like give me an example. Funds. Like what? What was? What was kind of like? Something that popped out at you. Well, for example, uh, I have a lot of family members that are dentists. So yeah. I got a ton of family members. That I'm actually going to Arizona just after this call to go play golf with them. Uh, I didn't realize there's all these dental roll-ups. There are big funds right now buying up 30, 50, 100 dental practices and rolling them together. They are consolidating the dental space. Right now, food and restaurants are being consolidated by big funds. Um, if you guys follow BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, the three, three mega funds, they manage about $23 trillion. Crazy. They control, it's estimated they'll control 40% of S&P 500 shareholder vote by 2030. They are the lar- two largest shareholders, I think in, in 495 of the Fortune 500 companies, okay? They control what happens. You're in wow. real estate, okay? 2021, one in five homes were purchased by Wall Street. In 2022, excuse me, it was one in seven. 2022 was one in five. 2023, just barely, the numbers are still coming out. It looks like it's about a third. One third of all residential real estate homes were purchased by big funds. And so I saw, I'm like, my ears started popping up to the, like Coco Melon. I can keep going. Coco Melon is owned by Blackstone. I mean, you go on the Las Vegas Strip. Las Vegas Strip is owned by two, and now it's kind of emerging a third company. About three companies own every 
hotel on the Las Vegas Strip. So yeah. we think we think we're shopping at ah oh, screw the MGM Grand. I'm going to the Cosmopolitan. Like it's the same yeah. company. You yeah, know? it's like the same group. Yeah, and so. Um, damned if you do and damned if you don't. Exactly. So uh, I started to see intentive to this is how the bigger game is being run right now. Um, uh, Sycamore Partners, big private equity firm. They own Staples, Aeropostale, Nine West Shoes. Last year, they were trying to buy Victoria's Secret. They were trying to buy uh, Kohl's the year before Are they that. out of California? They're out of New York. Sycamore okay. Partners, yeah. So they're about a $14 billion private equity fund. So anyways, I, I've gone too long here, but... I started to see this, the world of what was going on. And also I started to see um, opportunities for smaller funds to come in. And there's actually a lot of alpha and a lot of opportunity to come in and play this game. And so, sorry to wrap up that story. um, And we can talk more about these segments, but I, I, uh, about six months later, I was working a job. I'm in college, working a job and an internship at the internship. I saw an opportunity to launch a fund. These, uh, the clients that were coming through needed financing for their projects. I said, let's do a debt fund. Let's do like a financing product for them. I went and talked to the owners. They loved the idea. I talked to my dad. We like structured this whole fund out. And then finally I pitched my dad for money. I was like, crap, I got to raise money. No one's going to invest in me. I'm young. Yeah. I don't have a college degree. I got nothing going for me. I'll go pitch my dad. Yeah. Like, that sounds great. My dad will give me money. Perfect. Yeah. I go and pitch my dad. And uh, my dad uh, says, Bridger, I have the money to invest. But if I invest in your fund, it would ruin the experience of you raising money on your own. Yeah. This will be a crutch that you'll never be able to recover from. Your I like first it. investor is your hardest investor to find. You need to go find that investor. And he kicked me out. I walked out with my tail between my legs a little bit. And um, I took him up on the challenge. And I, I went out. At 22 years old, I raised a whopping $49,500 from, I think, seven different investors. So teeny amounts. I mean, it's so small. But it was enough to get started. These little micro loans you're doing, they were like two grand, three grand alone, and they would last yeah. like two months. They were these short-term finance, and it actually went really well. Our first group of investors, we got them a 64% return, which was nice. phenomenal. So good return, small amount of money, but it yeah. had proof of concept. So then we scaled that to a second fund. We then, we raised and deployed millions of dollars out of that fund. I ran that fund for about three years. Um, still, my dad didn't invest. My dad still has never invested in any fund, deal, project I've ever done but has always been a great mentor. So I love my dad. He's amazing. He's spoken at our events. You probably heard him at our event. Yep. Um, and I ran that fund. We actually had an offer. A, a competitor came and bought our fund out. We exited that fund. And then since then, we've, we started fund launch. We started bringing in other fund managers to teach and coach funds. And then I run a, a hedge fund right now in the cryptocurrency space um, called Ugly Unicorn, an eight-figure hedge fund. We just launched a GP stakes fund. I'm raising $25 million for that one right now. Um, and then now we're, a, we're kind of a, a minority partner on eight different funds uh, that, that we've helped and launched. So Still in the game, still running right now. Um, but anyways, that's, sorry, to, to dovetail that, that's kind of where we're at, where we got today. Okay, so a couple questions. So yeah. thanks for sharing all that. First of all, Bridger, you're a smart guy. I appreciate you telling that. And I like your dad, man. That's He raised you right, you know? Like, you can't, like, you can't teach someone how to fish if you just keep loading their boat full of fish. So I think he made the right move, and I think it probably helped you out a lot. So yeah, I did. If, yep. if you're me and you're trying to, like, you know, I've gone to all these syndication uh, seminars and I, I understand the concept. I understand real estate. I know how to do all that stuff. It's not, you know, it's not anything difficult for me on the ground side, on the construction side, on that side. But the raising money side, how do you, if you had a pretty good influence and you were going to raise capital, what would you do? And then secondarily, like looking at a, at an exit down the road, like I look at that and like I want to bring a company and take it public. Ultimately... If you take it public, that's the ultimate refinance, right? Would there be any suggestions that you would have for people like myself or anybody that's trying to start a fund? All right, let's, let's hit that first one first. So syndications, raising money, and and we'll talk about, let's talk about syndications and funds. Um, first off, I'm pro syndication. I Syndications are a great way to get started, to build a track record, and to get going. And a lot of people know, watching your show already probably have done real estate syndications, et cetera. Right. We had a guy join our group. He would do about four house flips a year, which is awesome. He would, he'd, you know, he'd raise money, get bank money, his own money, uh, hard money, pull it together into an LLC, go flip the house, then restart. He did it four times a year. He, we worked with him. We launched a fund. The next year, he flipped 72 houses the next year. Yeah. Um, and what a fund gave him was you set up the structure once. You raise the capital once. And then you flip as many as you want. Now, some pros and cons there. Obviously, um, investors now are not just on one deal. They're spread across 72 different deals. 
So yeah, five are going to do amazing. Five are probably going to lose money. And the other, you know, 65 are going to be at a blended return of, I don't know, 15% return, right? So you get diversification across maybe an, uh, maybe a market or a, a bunch of different assets. Secondly, I was, I was actually speaking at a big group of real estate syndicators. And I said, hey, if you had a fund right now, ready to go, do you think you would win more or less deals? And the room's like, more. Sure. I was like, why? Because you have money ready to go. You can deploy. You can close faster. Okay, if you're working with banks, do you think you'll get better or worse rates? Probably better because you're repeat clients. You probably get yeah. lower interest rates. You get a lower cost of capital. Yeah. Right? And so you can close on more deals. Now, uh, if you have a fund, if you're doing 72 flips, do you think your average cost to flip a house would go up or down? Probably down, down because... You have economies of scale. The same painter can come and you have a, a volume play. You usually get a discount if they're doing multiple houses than just one. So all of a sudden, you've reduced your risk per flip and kept the same return or even the bigger return. And I, I kind of, I was at this group as about 300 people of syndicators. And I said, how many of us have bid on a deal or looked at a deal and someone outbid us? And we say to ourselves, oh, that, they're going to lose their money. They've overbid. They overspent. They don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. Anybody done that? And the whole room raises their hand. Like we've all done that, right? The one yeah. idiot, they overpaid. And I go, maybe they're playing a different game than me and you. Like, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, if you're Blackstone and you've got to deploy $800 million into residential real estate and you have a lower cost of capital than the average flipper, they're borrowing at 6% and we're borrowing at 4.5%. Can we outbid? Yes. Do we have economy scales? Yes. What if we pool together $100 million worth of single family homes and we can sell it for $130 million? I said, yes, they, they outbid you and it wouldn't have worked for you, but it did work for them because they're playing a different game than me and you were playing. Yeah. And the whole room was like, oh, shoot. I'm like, that's the game they're playing. Yeah. They're playing a way different game than just a single guy flipping a house in downtown. And... That's the game. If you talk to anybody that's good at money or syndications or raising, all of them eventually want to get into a fund because yeah. that's the game you want to play. And so, sorry, I don't know if I answered that first question. That was kind of the difference between, between funds and syndications and why I think it's a crucial move and evolution of most people that are successful in this game. That's why they end up in funds. Does yeah, no, it, it answers the question. I'm just curious, like, all right, so step one, let's talk about it like basics. All right, so... I've got to do the formality and it's, the formality is just basically an LLC, right? For a fund or for a syndication? For, for a fund. Uh, a little, you want me to walk through the structure? It's a little bit different. Yeah, let's walk through the structure for sure. Yeah, so most funds, um, this might get technical, but we'll just get into it. Why not? So 99% yeah. of funds run through a general partner limited partnership structure, GPLP yep. structure. Um, your limited partnership is your pool, is your fund, and the general partner is me and you. We're the ones managing the fund. Additionally, you'll also set up sometimes a management company that serves as your investment advisor with that. So you have limited partners or investors that invest into a fund and a general partner, me and you, who manages the fund. We go buy assets and the assets flow back to the fund. Okay, follow along so far? I think you, yep. probably, you probably run some of those before. Yeah, just um, similar to the, the guys who are signing on the debt, the guys who are getting the fees or the GPs and the LPs are generally uh, the limited partners that are just providing the capital. Yep, yep, exactly. You have two governing documents over a fund, um, over a general partner limited partnership. They're called your LPA, your limited partnership agreement, and okay. your PPM, your private placement memorandum. These two documents are like 100 pages thick. They're huge. They cost 25 to 50 grand to, to put together. And they, I lovingly call them the Bible. Okay, these right. are all the covenants, the laws of your fund. Now, what's cool about funds is you get to write the Bible. And so you get to write the rules, the covenants. Okay, it's a $100,000 minimum commitment. We write that in our thing. It's a, you know, you can only withdraw after two years. You write that in your thing. Now, once it's written though, you got to follow it. Okay, but the cool okay. thing is you get to write the Bible. So people always ask me, Bridger, can my fund buy single families and also commercial? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Just put it in your LP and PPM. But once it's written, you got to follow it. Additionally, if you write in your LP and PPM, hey, our fund does multifamily real estate, but then the best commercial deal you've ever seen comes across your desk, you cannot do it because in your bylaws, you said your, your Bible, we only do, you know, multifamily units between 200 and 300 units. You know what I mean? Whatever you put your parameters on. And even if the best single family deal came across your desk, you can't do it because that's not part of your LP and PPM. 
Okay, so yeah, first structure goes. Now, 99% of funds file under a Regulation D-506 is the rule, and then you have a 506B and 506Cs. Um, that's how 99% of the money's private money in the world is raised. You get ex exempt. I can go on and on. I'll, I'll stop here. We can, you can talk about 3C1 exemptions, 3C5, 3C7 exemptions. There's a bunch yeah. of exemptions and other cool stuff you can do when structuring your fund. But um, overall, though, I'll, I'll just summarize with this. Um, syndications and funds, back to both of those. The reason for all those structures and things, uh, have you seen the movie The Big Short? Of course, yeah. So we actually have Steve Eisman is coming to speak at our event. He's played by Mark Baum in the movie. Anyways, um, he's coming to speak at our next event, which is pretty cool. But What's your next a, event for those who, who are listening and might want to attend? Yeah, it's in April in Orlando called Fun Launch Live. So you came, you came to Fun Launch Live number one. This is Fun yeah. Launch Live number three. We've got about 2,000 people coming to Fun Launch Live number three. It's pretty, pretty fun. So Steve Eisman or, or Mark Baum in the movie, he's coming to speak. He, he still runs a hedge fund and he's got all this stuff right now for 2024. It's pretty interesting. Awesome. Um, so... There's a great scene though in that by uh, Christian Bale who plays um, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting. I'm spacing it right now. But Christian Bale plays. He's got the lazy eye in there. I'm, I'm gonna remember his name in a second. But um, they uh, Scion Capital is taking this big short, and his biggest investors come in and are yelling at him. They're like, "It's Michael Burry." It's, I just remember it. So Michael Burry's like, "Michael Burry, sell! Like, get out! Give me my money back!" They're yelling at him in his office, and Michael Burry's just like, "No." He goes, the market's going to fall. It just, it's taking a little bit longer than I thought and tough. Yeah. And the investors are yelling and screaming and he just says, sorry. And I think that scene of that movie epitomizes why funds are so awesome. <laughs> yeah, in a, for sure. in a syndication, if your largest investor forgot to pay taxes last year and they call you up, hey, Troy, hey, you know, I love you. The property's good, but I just, I got a huge tax bill. Can you sell the properties early? And I got to get my money out. And sometimes in a syndication, depending on how you structured it, they can really throw their elbows around and sometimes force you into sometimes selling a property before you want to sell it. Right. In a fund, your biggest investor, like Michael Burry, comes in, they've given you a half a billion dollars. Right. Hey, can we get out? We got to sell. And you say, no. Hell no. Per our LPM, PPM, yeah, there, you know, the money's locked up. If you want to exit, there's a 50% penalty that we wrote in. So you can pull out for 50 or no, the market's still going to, it's still going to recover. Right. My fiduciary responsibility in a fund is not to individual investors. My fiduciary responsibility is to do what's best for the fund as a whole. And the best thing for the fund as a whole is not to sell the properties right now. It's to hold on to them during this cycle or whatever you're, you know, you're doing. And what that does, it actually protects investors against each other in case yeah. one of them didn't pay taxes last year, or it protects them against you as well. Um, because you are the general partner and you have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's best for the fund. And again, that, I think that's why most people that are successful in the space end up running funds one day because it allows a lot of protections for investors amongst each other. It gives them a lot of diversification across lots of properties, not just one at a time. Um, and ultimately allows people to scale um, a lot more. Sorry, I keep getting way off topic, Trey. I feel like I'm not answering your questions, but maybe I am. I'm going to redirect you. I'm going to roll you back in a little bit. So, okay, we understand that the fund is the vehicle, okay? So, we, we like, you made that clear. The fund is the vehicle. Syndication opens you up to a lot of liabilities. The fund is the way to grow. It's what I want to do. So, as somebody, who's young, or as somebody who's established, already launched multiple funds, teaches people how to launch multiple funds, I'm looking to raise capital. I want to start a fund. You know, I can do it with you. I can have your help. And that's, that's great. That's something I might want to do. But like, what's the best way to start building that capital? Putting funnels out there? What are you doing personally to go and raise capital? Obviously, you're yeah. established. So I'm sure that a lot of the people, just by knowing who you are, are giving you their money, just from being the fun guy, right? Like, th that's part of it. But, you know, as somebody who's not the fun guy, understands real estate or people that you're teaching, like, for somebody who's got influence, you obviously want to go out there and start creating sales funnels and kind of getting people drawn in. What do you do to reach the masses and raise capital? Yeah, great question. So on capital, there are, like you mentioned, I, there's a thousand different ways to raise capital. But I'm going to summarize it down into three kind of pillars in the capital raising process. Because there's funny, I, I had a guy in my group, like he couldn't raise capital for like two years. No one would talk to him. And then he found this group of dentists and he, then they have like an online face group. And, and then he goes live in there. He does like webinars. He goes, he, he only raises money from dentists and he's raised now millions and millions of dollars 
but he can't raise money any other way. Like, it's funny. He found this little niche and corner of people that he is really good at talking to. So anyways, but I'll give you a framework of two different, there are three different things here. So number one, people always ask, Bridger, like I'm struggling to raise money. I can't raise money. I go, well, where are you struggling at? That's a big question. So number one, are you getting around people with money? What I call getting in the room. Are you even in the room, in the vicinity of people that have money? Yes or no? Okay, and we'll talk about that in a second. Number two, though, okay, I'm in the room. I'm around the people. I'm at the Super Bowl. I'm in the box seats. Like, I'm around the people with money. Okay, great. Number two, can you actually warm that person up and what I call convert the room? Because I I have friends that know a lot of wealthy people, but no one looks at them as, I'm not, you know, I'm not giving Joe money. He's just my niece or nephew over here. You know, they're, they're in the right rooms, but they don't know how to warm that and convert that room. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a, there's a process of warming that lead up or converting that room. And then finally to step number three is closing the room. So that's where, that's like your pitch deck, your funnel, how you present, you're in a boardroom, like how you actually close investors in. So I'll actually walk people through like, where are you struggling with? Are you struggling with just getting in the room? Are you struggling converting the room or struggling closing the room as a, as a framework for raising capital? So um, I'll dive into kind of each sector really quick. Uh, number one, most people though I feel that I talk to is they have a, the problem getting in the room, like getting around people with money. You brought up funnels and other stuff. I've broken it down to two ways to get in any room. You can work your way in or you can buy your way in. Now, working your way in is kind of like, you know, LinkedIn, uh, you can do a cold outbound. You can go to real estate meetups right. and work the room, right? You work, you know, yeah. you do a, you're, it's a lot of work. Obviously there's a lot of stuff you can do to work through. You can run podcasts and network and meet people and leverage things. Um, even on online, you mentioned funnels, you can write blog posts, do organic media content. Like that's a, that's a working your way into the room. The other way is you can buy your way into the room. For online, that would be like online ads. Now, most funds you cannot publicly advertise for. You got to make sure you're filed the right way. That's why you don't see ads for Blackstone or KKR. It's actually against Unless you're accredited, right? That's the big, uh, like, if, you, if you're advertising specifically for accredited, does that allow you to advertise? Uh, no, you have to be, a, you have to register as a 506C fund. Yeah. And then you can advertise. You have certain rules that you have to follow. So I'm a 506C, so I can advertise my fund. But you have to just, you have to file your fund that way. 95% of funds are 506Bs and they cannot advertise. So like to anybody, you literally, that's why you don't see ads for Blackstone, KKR, Sycamore. Like you don't see ads because it's against the law to advertise. It has to be personal network and people they already have an existing relationship with. So sorry, side tangent there. So back to, to work your way in, buy your way in. So okay. buying your way in, you could buy ads though, or media. Uh, okay. I'll tell you a quick story. Like I, um, my dad on one of their first funds, his partner came home. And he's like, Hey, I just bought season tickets to the Utah jazz box seats, four tickets. Like and that my, plan. And my dad's like, dude, we don't have the money. Like that's 40 grand. Like he's like, he's like, hold on before you get mad at me. He goes, we, we are having a really hard time. I call into, you know, a wealthy CEO, Mrs. Johnson in the, in the neighborhood. She's super wealthy. I try to call her and the gatekeeper says, I'm not going to talk to you. And, but he goes, now, since we have season tickets, what we, we call in, we say, Hey, Mrs. Johnson. Hey, I just wanted to invite, I'm talking to the assistant. Hey, I've got two tickets tonight for Mrs. Johnson and her husband. The jazz are playing the Lakers. LeBron's in town. We'd love to have them come out. There's a dinner beforehand, private parking. Can she make it? And more often than not, that assistant is going to pass that message on to the, whoever it is. And they actually did this. This is back uh, years ago. They, he told me they raised over a hundred million dollars just off of those season tickets. So you're crazy? telling me I need to buy a suite at the, the Chiefs <laughs> next season and that's how I'm going to raise all my money. That, that's funny. That's, I, I, I agree because you got some people in the room for four hours, three hours, whatever the game is. Yep. You got dinner yeah. beforehand. You got that's just all the stuff. You can talk to people and really get to know. This is for high net worth or family offices. It does really well. Another one you can buy your way in. Um, if you can join the Ferrari club of Kansas City, pretty much right. every major city has a car club. To join the club, guess what you have to have? A Ferrari. And so, and guess what? Everyone else there has Ferraris. You're in the room. You bought your way into the room. So people buy dinner. I got to get a Ferrari and I got to get. <laughs> Just go home and tell your, tell your business partner, like, hey, I was on this podcast. They told me I got to spend $300,000 on all these things right now. But so again, and uh, there's, you can go to events. There's a lot of ways you can buy your way into, the, into rooms, right? To be in the, be in the vicinity of yeah. money. Now there's different ones for high net worths versus family offices versus institutions. Those are kind of three different categories, but right. again, you can buy your way in or you can work your way in. My, uh, my opinion is it's good to do a little bit of both. 
It's good yeah. to work the room and also buy in. And uh, it's usually a pretty magical, you know, magic combination. That's why I love throwing events or going to events. It's a good way you can buy your way in and work your way to that room. So that's how you get in the room and then convert the room, warming those leads up. And actually, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do that. One of my, my favorites is I'll meet somebody. I mean, maybe we met in a networking event. Troy, what, what do you do? You know, blah, blah, blah. We talk, talk, talk. Yeah. You'll ask me, what do I do? Oh, I run a, you know, I run a hedge fund. We do, you know, we're in cryptocurrency, et cetera. We do all this cool stuff. Hey, I'll say, hey, Troy, before we leave, I've, uh, you know, just because I run a fund, I get tons of good deals across my desk. 99% of the time, I can't do them just because I only run a hedge fund in this space. But they're really good deals. I don't, I don't know if you like looking at deals, but if I, I can send you good deals if you like them. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, Troy's going to be like, yeah, I, I like deals. I like looking at deals. So I say, great, give me, can I get your email? I'll get Troy's email and I'll start, Actually, I actually do get a lot of deals. I'll start sending Troy deals every week. And I say, hey, I have no dog in the race. I just got this forward to me. I just want to see if you like it. And all of a sudden, Troy remembers me from this event because I'm the deal guy. I'm now yeah. sending Troy deals. And we have this little relationship like, oh, Troy, oh yeah, Bridger's a deal guy. And, I, and we're, all of a sudden, we are thinking of each other like deal people. And then maybe right. two months in, I say, hey, Troy, I got a really good deal. It's called my fund. <laughs> do you want to <laughs> hear about it? I don't know, whatever, however you want to phrase that. But then, then we give them to phase three. We're actually now, okay, we sit down. I have a pitch deck. I'm going to, okay, here's our fund. I'm going to walk you through the, the offering. That's more the closed period. So that, that was a condensed, I could talk for that for like three hours. That's kind of a condensed version of how I approach raising capital, get in the room, convert the room, close the room, and a lot of different segments from there. Yeah. I love that, man. I appreciate you uh, spending time on that, Bridger. That breaks it down for me very simply. So so one thing I got a question on is like, I'm a big fan of guys like Carl Icahn, Stephen Roth, uh, probably a lot of the guys that you know, um, David Tepper. Oh yeah, we're best, we're best friends, all those guys. We're, we're yeah. hanging out, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, you know, they just don't reply back to me Yeah, often. they never call me back, but whatever. You know, we're still friends. <laughs> yeah. But you know, w with my like future goals is like, I would love to be an activist, right? I'd love to be like a corporate activist, which is basically flipping a company. You watch Carl Icahn has done it with several companies, eBay, he spun off PayPal that it reignited PayPal. PayPal was dead. You know, it was the, it was the number one premier. Where do you see yourself in the future? Like being, having such a masterful command of a, of funds at a very early age, like most of these guys, when they start picking up, Steam is in their 60s in the, or in their late. You've already got a, such an edge on people. Where do you see yourself going and where do you want to go? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun question. I'll actually say this. I, I went and studied Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio, these guys. Uh, yeah. Ray Dalio started his first fund at age 26. Warren Buffett was 28. But they started small. They started with 100 grand or 50 grand. And what yeah. happened was they just did well with a little bit of money. And they compounded a little bit bigger money and then a little bit bigger. And then all of a sudden they're 80 years old. And wow, oh my gosh, look at how big they are. But it's like, dude, it's been, it's been 45 years they've been doing this. That's a yeah. long time to compound and build a tracker. So I, I'm a big proponent for starting, just getting going and building a reputation of being honest and having integrity and et cetera and, and growing from there. So um, long-term picture, I, uh, I love the fun space. Um, I love partnering with really good operators. Um, that's what I've currently done. I'm, I'm very good at structuring funds. I try to find people that are really good investors. My partner, Dan, he's 50 something years old, multiple Inc. 500 winner. He's on the board of Intel for 16 years. He helps, he actually, and he's had the largest crypto mining facility in 2014 in the state of Utah, whole warehouse. He's done this for a decade now in crypto. And so we partner together, right? So I like to partner with really good operators. Um, I'm more agnostic to the, I like, I want to find an emerging industry that I believe in and grows, but I like to find really good operators to partner with that maybe right. just haven't structured a fund before. That's what I've currently done. So we'll see over the next few years. I've, I'm growing fund launch right now. It's an eight figure company. I'd love to exit that company one day and, and have that. And did you start that company? Is that your baby? Yeah. Me and one other business partner, 50, 50, we've never raised outside capital. It's just me and him and we run it. Yeah. So let me just, let me just tell those of you guys who are listening right now. I mean, the first event, I was very impressed. Like I have been to a lot of events, just your technology, like there's a lot of thought that went into it. The speakers that you had, um, like I said, you know, you, I remember you had an African-American guy MC it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Devon um, Brown, he's the best MC in the world. Yeah, yeah he's unreal. And, and I just, I thought like just everybody that you had, the way the organization was, I still, I think I, think I still have my shirt from you. I think it's still in the Fun Launch shirt. So if you're, and, and not to mention the amount of information that you brought there. I thought it was a great event, something I would definitely attend again. So if you're 
thinking about getting into funds and you want to learn. Like Bridger, in my opinion, is the smartest guy on the internet that can break down funds. I've watched your videos um, on YouTube personally to understand it. And I've, and I've talked, I've been, like I said, I've been to multiple syndication, multiple funds. Nobody can ever break it down. You like show underneath the hood and it's really, really cool. And it's something that you've got a skill, a knack for. I love the fact that that is your goals, that you realize that that's your skill set and you'd rather partner with an operator and get better at uh, being the fun guy, right? Like you stay in your lane versus try to become a great operator, which is very difficult to do a lot of times. Yeah. Is there any industries that you're attracted to, like real estate or you, I know you're in crypto right now. For me, the crypto space scares the shit out of me just because anybody can start a cryptocurrency at any point in time. And really, it's the wild, wild west. You know, there's obviously some regulation going on there right now. What industries excite you? Yeah, well, and thank you for those compliments. That means a lot. Um, the uh, crypto, it's funny. I, I've actually, we feel like we de-risk de in crypto. We do a lot of research and we do risk yeah. mitigation like crazy in crypto to make it. I, I'm all about playing the long-term game. And we got, anyways, I can, we, can dive, we can talk about crypto for an hour because how we de-risk and anyways, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Other industries though that I'm, I'm, we can talk about this more, but baby boomers right now retiring is a huge tidal wave of money happening. Uh, they yeah. estimate like $68 trillion is being transferred to the next generation over the next uh, 10 to 12 years. These are coming, and these, a lot of these are legacy businesses, like a printing company, an account, a small accounting firm. There's a lot of these like baby boomer legacy businesses. They, they would love to retire. They'll take a pretty big discount because they just want to be done with it. Yeah. And uh, I'm knocking over my water bottles over here. Um, and so that's a huge tidal wave right now. It's happening. Um, I, I actually do think digital currency and or tokenization. When you hear Jamie Dimon, BlackRock talking yeah. about all they yeah. talked about the last six months, tokenization of assets. You see PayPal building a whole plan. Uh, Elon Musk with X building their whole payment rails on cryptocurrency or some type of blockchain technology is massive. Um, there's a really cool book that, that just came out called, um, actually a few years ago, called The Future is Faster Than You Think. And I think I might have talked about this at the event if you were there. Uh, maybe it was the next event. But th they actually spelled, these guys in Silicon Valley spelled out what's interesting about right now, which is so cool. We don't just have one technology emerging. Like the internet came out, there was one technology. Or like the printing press or the car. Like yeah. these kind of individually came out. Right now, we have about 10 emerging technologies that are all coming out at the same time. Yeah. And what's happening is they're converging with each other. So for totally. example, transportation right now is being totally overhauled. Um, have you seen these drone cars that are like, these drone flying cars that are like flying around? Have you seen any of those? Like on the internet? No, right I have now? not, but I, yeah. Is it Bezos? <laughs> so yeah, be, they've got a bunch of, so Google, there's about a hundred yeah. startups right now building. They, I, the easiest way to call them is drone cars. They're all in beta mode and stuff. I've, I've, what I've heard is they, they've already, the technologies are there. They're waiting for regulators now to approve them, but it's pretty, just go on Google and Google them. So they're like these cars with like, they have like six or seven different wings. They're like drones. They fly, they can fly um, shipping containers, et cetera. Huge ones that can, they're really cool. Dubai just ordered them all for their police force so they can fly over traffic and like fix traffic and stuff. They're really cool. So <laughs> the only reason though that can take place, like flying cars, there's a hundred right. startups working on it right now. The only reason that can take place is because of the development of 5G. Like yeah. 5G allows data to be transferred fast enough between the car and you know, uh, internet providers to do that. Additionally, with the advent of AI, AI mixed with 5G, mixed with flying cars and robotics is another one. All of a sudden you can actually now have flying cars or flying drones that actually can automate and move. Um, the other one is, uh, so back to like robots, 3D printing is one of those, so one of those 10 categories. Another one's 3D printing. 3D printing only really works because we have robotics that are increasing and also the advent of AI mixing together like they there's all these companies working on 3d printing clothing so if you wanted like a jersey kansas city jersey you would just you there's these bodysuits they've just made they're they're real you can buy one right now you wear the bodysuit it gets your exact dimensions of your whole body and it yeah. builds you a perfect made one-to-one -one made for your body they can build you a suit a dress whatever you know like perfectly um and yeah. they 3d print they 3d it's not like printing it's weaving they weave fabrics so anyways i go on and on the the emergence of these technologies though are massive quantum computing is another one. So anyways, they, um, and there's hundreds of startups right now working and converging these together. And so, uh, people are talking about inflation and obviously inflation has been a problem the last two years. Right. Um, I think a, a bigger risk though is deflation. A lot of people don't talk about deflation. 
um, a lot of these things are very deflationary for our economy. So to give you an example of deflation, um, a VR headset. So think about a VR headset. Right now they're kind of clunky. Let's just say though, they got really good. They were amazing, okay? Yeah. Instead of going to Disney World with your family and spending plane tickets and a bus and a, you know, a car, you just put yeah. on a VR headset. Yeah. And you have a pretty much similar experience to going to Disney World. Yeah. All of a sudden, you spent maybe whatever the amount of money for that headset, you didn't spend two, three, five, ten thousand dollars to take your family to Disneyland. That's deflationary. Uh, self driving trucks. When you have a self driving truck that can refill itself, can go 24 7 and doesn't have to pay a driver, goods and services can be shipped for a lower cost and done faster. That is yeah. deflationary for an economy. And so yeah. um, I, I think, uh, you know, now right now we've had inflation out, you know, out the moon, but we are seeing a lot of deflationary measures. And actually Jerome Powell and a bunch of others have talked about the amount of deflation we are seeing because of the um, technology is just naturally deflationary. Like for right. our, like you get an iPhone, it's, you know, a similar cost. So it's a twelve hundred bucks for this phone or whatever. But you get a hundred times more stuff than you when you spent, you know, a thousand bucks on a phone in two thousand, you know, or nineteen ninety five, those big brick phones. But it's a similar cost, but you get a thousand more uses out of it. You got a calculator, a, a video camera now, all these other things. So anyways, I'll I'll stop there. But there's a lot of interesting emerging technologies right now and i think there's a lot of money to be made and it, they've, I, they've I, want, I want to hit on a, i want to hit a couple points that you mentioned there um first of all um you know with ai you know knowing that the root was from elon basically donating uh open ai as a hundred million dollar donation and then microsoft buys it and takes over as the number one company over apple again now you just mentioned the iphone so i just bought the brand new one Totally disappointed. No improvements in my opinion. Like yeah. whatever, whatever. I got to get my third charging point since I've switched over to them. Like take this thing back. Give me my old iPhone and just s stick with it. So with those types of things, I I do agree that technology is like like hauling ass right now, and there's a lot of cool things that are happening. But there's also some things that are stuck. Like we're stuck with two kind of lame phones right now that aren't really doing like we haven't really advanced from the iPhone in the last five, six, seven, eight years, pretty much since Steve jobs has gone away. So with things like that and with AI and, and stuff like that, like where do you see the future headed? No, it's a great point. Cause there's a lot of promises and or things that are developing very fast and things that develop very slow. Right. And the actual application of those things, there's this huge layout. Like there's a funny quote in Silicon Valley. They said, Hey, we, you promised us flying cars. And all we got was 147 characters as a tweet, you know, like, like where's the disconnect? And the last two decades, we've seen a lot of development on software. We haven't seen that much hardware, hardware development, um, through technology. We've seen obviously some improvements. And so, and there's always a lag, a, a, quite a bit of a lag between something coming out and emerging and then actually coming into your user's hands. Like actually me and you can use it and buy it. There's this huge lag because of re regulatory capture and other things. And so I think, again, we'll see. Again, I, don't, I don't know the future at all. I'm just trying to make uh, estimated guesses. But when you see hundreds and hundreds of startups all attacking yeah. this field right now, and what they're kind of saying is the, all of a sudden we have this convergence of technologies, the likelihood of some of these succeeding, one or two succeeding and doing very well at scale is, yeah. is pretty darn cool. Um, so yeah. right now, like, for example, we have on the flying car thing, we have, there's incredible beta tests that are ready to go. And we and you could hop in one as a, one of the beta vehicles, but they're probably not going to be on the market. Like for me and you to yeah. buy for probably another 10 years. Flying car. Yeah. It's probably another 10 years where they can actually drone and like, it's safe enough. The FAA is going to approve them, but the technology is like ready today. Um, which is like self-driving cars have been around like Elon with, you know, Tesla. They've had self-driving cars since like 2014. But they really didn't be, they didn't really release them to the public till like 20, what, 19 or something like that? 2018, yeah. 19, 20. So there's a lot of a delay and lag because of risk, especially with hardware things. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I, the impacts of these technologies, though, and, and the number of dollars and companies emerging and being spent in any of these spaces right now, these 10 emerging technologies, is pretty significant. And these are some of the smartest people on earth doing this. And so it makes you, you know, makes you kind of think. Something might happen. Well, I appreciate that, man. And, and just kind of to like um, to kind of wrap things up uh, with everything that's going on. 
Like, what do you say to somebody who's out there and wants to start a fund or maybe they want to start a business? You're obviously doing both. You're very successful uh, at your at your age. I keep referring back to that, but I think that's important because a lot of people don't get started. And like, like you, the fact you have such a head start on so many people that are still confused on what they want to do or this or that, the other thing. What do you tell people that are are younger than you? And then what do you tell people who are a little bit older than you and feel like they missed their opportunity? Well, and I'll preface this. I, I'm still in the game. I'm, I'm still working. I work every day. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't claim, I'm not going to preach. Like I know everything because I don't, uh, but I've known a, f- a few things that have worked for me. And so I'll just speak to those things that have worked for me. Um, when I was in college, I, uh, I approached college. And so somebody's talking to younger than me. I would say approach college. Every class you take, everything you do is designed to make you money. And if it's not making you money, don't do it. The only reason me or you go to college, unless you're going after some like huge, cool, like, I don't know, intellectual pursuit. For most people though, they go to college, they're trying to get a job that will ultimately make them money. Um, And people say, well, go after your passion. Like, and I think that's just total BS. Um, If if they stopped paying you for your passion, would, you know, would you still do it? Well, you probably couldn't because, you know, because you don't have money. Like you, most divorces happen because of money. Most stress in life because of money. Like if you can figure out and solve the money game, yeah. then you can go spend all, like I love skiing. Skiing is a huge passion of mine. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I'm not going to be a professional skier. I'm going to make money another facet so I can ski more and go, I'm going hella skiing next month. It's going to be like, anyways, I can do other things. Right. So back to someone in college, like I took, I approached college with the mindset of this is going to help me make money. So I, my first year of college, I took I didn't take the general classes. I didn't take physics and biology. I took a real estate class, took an SEO class, took an accounting class, a, a, a finance class. I took all classes that benefited my life. I snuck into an MBA negotiation class that was happening on campus. And I was a part of the, I was with all the MBA students as a sophomore. It's my second year doing, it was a negotiation class head up by some of the, uh, they ran the Harvard negotiation project. This guy had done negotiations uh, with Mark. terrorist groups in Russia. He'd done negotiations in South America. It was amazing, Okay. Talk about yeah. education. I went to get educated on, on business and life. And so, um, and sorry, I'm, I'm, I'll talk quick here, but for me, I thought, okay, I need to learn how to make money in the most efficient way possible. So I'm going to pick a career that does that for me. So I started to, and I said, well, business is probably a good idea. And yeah. then I was like, okay, well in business, what kind of business do I want to be in? So I just started, I just started stuff and there was so much value for me in just moving. I, for a long time, I was a entrepreneur. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't actual an entrepreneur. And finally, I was like, I just got to start doing stuff. Yeah. And, and what happened was it taught me an incredible amount of just practical things. Um, the first time I set up an LLC, it took me like, I don't know, 80 to 100 hours to set up an LLC to like figure it out, how to structure it. Like, and now like me and you, we can start an LLC in like 45 minutes, you know, and get a bank account open. It took me literally probably a hundred hours to figure that out, but I figured it out, you know, and like to build a website, to build like your G suite account. Anyways, all these little things. Um, but I'll tell a quick story that kind of summarizes this. I had a, this guy came and spoke at the university I was at. He was from Harvard. He just, and he had graduated. He sold his company for all this money, came and spoke and he finishes his speech and he comes to the back of the room and he's just standing there and someone else is speaking and I'm, he's just sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to this guy. So I go and talk to him. And I say, Hey, I got a question for you. You know, I'm starting some of these businesses. I, I've got some fun ideas. Um, but I'm, I'm nervous if I go after this business and I risk it all, like I'm, I'm nervous. Like that would be a scary thing to risk it all and lose it all. And he goes, yeah. he's like, he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, yeah, like if I went and started this business, I lose some money or like, it doesn't work. Like I lose all this time. And like, he's like, Bridger, if you lose it all, do you have a family member or friend that you can move in with and you could sleep on their couch? Like, honestly, do you have somebody in your life? And I was like, I was like, yeah, honestly, yeah, I could, I could probably move in for a couple months yeah. with somebody to get on my feet. Do they have like a fridge with food in it and like maybe air conditioning or like a heater in their house? Like you could live there for like maybe yeah. a month or two just to get on your feet. He's like, I was like, yeah. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, <laughs> your worst case scenario yeah. is you get to move in with a family member or friend who loves you. Yeah. He has a place for you to sleep and food in the fridge. He goes, your worst case scenario is better than 90% of the world lives every day. We're not talking about the same level of risk here. Yeah, totally. And it totally set me in my, and he's like, how much money do you have? Like, I'm like, like five grand. He's like, okay, so you lose it all. You lost five grand. Like yeah. whoop-de-doo. 
Like that, like, like there's nothing. And in America, we have bankruptcy. We have food stamps. There's all these nets that can catch you when you fall. He goes, you being born in the United States was the best day that ever happened to you. You don't know what risk is. However, on the opposite side, if you do well, your reward is super high. In finance, there's a term called asymmetrical risk, where you have relatively low risk for high return. He goes, right now you have asymmetrical risk. And if you drop out of school and leave, guess what? Universities will always take your money. They will happily take your money. I promise you. Yeah, for sure. And it really reset my brain like, oh yeah, it's not that risky. Um, and this is, so talking to somebody younger than me, so I started to take bigger risk and I, I really tried to swing the bat. Like if I'm gonna, and I would do uh, things like, I, I would set timelines and budgets. So to not be a entrepreneur, I'd say, I'm gonna go after this business. I'm gonna spend three weeks and 500 bucks going directly after this business. Um, and I'll tell you, sorry, I keep going on antidotes. Is this okay if I keep going? You're good, brother. You're, 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 I, lo- I love your preaching. So just right, keep going. We'll keep going. So yeah. Steven Schwartzman, one of the, he's one of the largest hedge fund managers ever. He runs Blackstone. Yeah. Yep. Incredible dude. In his book, he talks about, he, uh, he wanted to learn Mandarin Chinese and I speak Mandarin. So I was kind of, like, oh, you know, and he spent, he's like, I hired a tutor. He goes, I spent an hour a week for a year studying Chinese. So I had a tutor come over. Like I really invested in this thing. I was studying Chinese. He'd come over once a week. We'd study, practice. He goes, then he flew to one of his, he has a school in China that he sponsors. He flew to China and he was there and his Chinese was terrible. And the kids that had just, these American kids had just showed up. They'd been there like two weeks. They were speaking better Chinese than him. And he was like, what the heck? He's like, I've spent a year doing this. Like, what's going on? These kids have just shown up for like, am I just old? Am I dumb? Are they younger than me? Like, what's going on? And then he said, he started to calculate the hours he had spent on this thing. He's like, well, I spent an hour a week for a year. That's about 52 hours. These kids that have showed up two weeks ago have already spent maybe a hundred hours studying Mandarin. And he's like, huh? Yeah. And uh, he's like, that really resonated with me. And for me with business, I think a lot of us, people that listen to podcasts, they like to talk about business. I've done this a number of times. You get in a Zoom call. Okay, let's do our business. Okay, what are we doing? Okay, here's assignments. You do this, you do this. Okay, great. Let's meet back in two weeks. Yeah. And then everyone meets back in two weeks and nothing happens. Okay. Let's regroup. Okay. You know what? This month I'm doing this. And then what happens is you spend, I have friends that have spent nine months, a year, 18 months, two years on a business idea and nothing has happened. And I would venture that if I spent the next five days for 12 hours a day, I would get more done in this weekend than they've done in two years on their business. Yeah. And that's the way I started to realize like, this is how you compress time. You go all in, you actually swing the bat. Most of us do a check swing or a half swing or a bunt. Very few of us actually do a full swing at the bat. And I thought, man, if I can swing the bat three, four, five, six, ten 10 times, I'm probably going to hit a, maybe a single, a double, maybe a triple and a, Hey, maybe even a home run. So I'm going to start swinging the bat and swinging fully. And uh, funny enough for fun launch, we had this idea to launch a business around funds. We said, okay, we're going to do three weeks. We're going to go all in for three weeks and we have 500 bucks to spend. And we went all in. And actually what happened was it didn't take us three weeks. It took us about three days, three days. We spent 500 bucks and we got 1800 bucks back in return. Like, oh, that's pretty good. We then did it again. We then spent 3000. We got back 6,000. We, in the first month, we spent $80,000 in ad spend. We got back about $82,000 back. We were like, Okay, people like this product. It built us a list. And we went all in. We kept doubling down. And then we said, okay, let's spend the next four months building this thing out. We're gonna go all in. And we and we did $2.5 million or 2.2 million our first 12 months of business. Not bad. Because we Not swung bad at the all. bat. Like we swung fully. And so, anyways, I go on, I'll stop there. But I on entrepreneurship, I think a lot of us have asymmetrical risk um, and trying to de-risk ourselves. So that was for people younger than me. And then people older and can I share one more story, Troy? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll yes. show you a quick story and then I'll, and I'll shut up. I'll let you talk for a minute. But I thought this was pretty valuable. Um, so my dad was, when they were starting their first fund, this is back in like 2004, 2005. Him and my dad, like I said before, very conservative, drove a crappy car, small house, whatever. He had a partner that he brought in. They were in bringing in another partner. And I heard this, this is, this, this is now 20 years, almost 20 years later, that guy didn't join with them. He ended up having other stuff. He, and he, he was telling my dad, he's like, that's the biggest mistake I ever made. It was a hundred million dollar mistake. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, yeah. I should have joined with you guys. I should have been as a partner. I just, I just, I, you know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. My dad's like, hold on. He's like, do you not remember? He's like, what do you mean? 
He goes, you couldn't join with us. He goes, you lived in a bigger house. You had a big mortgage. You and your wife both drove brand new BMWs. You had a big car payment. You right. took your family to Hawaii twice a year. Yeah. He goes, you couldn't work with us. We didn't get a paycheck for 18 months when we started our first business. Yeah. Me though, I had all my, my house was paid off cars. Like I lived a very frugal, small life so that I could take risks. And he goes, do you not yeah. remember that? And he goes, oh yeah, you're right. And he goes, sorry, you set your life up in a way where you couldn't take risks. So don't kick yourself in the, you, you actually could, cause your, your wife, your kids, you would have been, you would have been bankrupt. You wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's right. And I've remembered that a lot. And I said, you know what? If I can position my life in a way that I, and I now have a kid and a spouse and a more, you know, I, it's a lot, a different life than being 22 and I'm yeah. still relatively young, but you know, you know, when you have kids, you, you, life becomes more risky. Cause if you lose, you lose a lot more. But my dad's point was if you can live well below your means yes, and save money and be conservative so that when a good opportunity comes by, you can actually swing the bat and swing fully your odds of success go way up. And I thought that was a pretty, um, good story, uh, for someone maybe that's maybe older than me. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm speaking to maybe out of my league a little bit, at least for my dad though, what happened with him and a partner. Yeah. And I think that what happens just to kind of, uh, emphasize that point is I think that the more you avoid something and the longer that time goes, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, you said you do hella skiing, but let's say I'm scared of hella skiing, right. Or helicopters and I avoid it and I think about it and I never take action. It just builds up in my mind over time and I never take action. And so the older I get, the less action I take, the more that it becomes fearful for me to take that action. I know you're running off to uh, go golf and let me ask you real quick, a very important question. What is your handicap? Oh, I'm dude. I'm terrible at golf. I think it's fun, but so we I, should definitely play together. Yes. I put me down for like a 92, like every game. I'm like 91 to 95. So I'm a bogey golfer. Listen, if I'm shooting in the nineties, I am a happy guy. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, you know, as long as I'm not losing balls, there's a pretty good chance I'm shooting in the nineties. If I'm losing balls, then we may not hit the nineties, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing your story, all the advice that you gave our listening audience. So make sure everybody who's listening right now, if you've stuck to the end, give us a five-star review. Bridger, how do people follow you? How do they follow your journey? Well, Troy, first off, great job on this podcast, this show. I, I, I want to send some people, my audience here as well. You guys are, this is awesome. So thanks for having me on. Appreciate um, for that. For people that want to get more maybe in the fun space or learn more, we actually have yeah. some free content and just free stuff. I have a full free course we've built on funds. Totally free. Just put your email in, you get the course for free. We want, I want more people to understand this game. I think more yes. people need to understand what funds are. And otherwise, we're going to be slaves to State Street, Vanguard, and, and BlackRock. And so... Um, full free course. I think it's like 30 plus videos. Go to fundlaunch.com. So fundlaunch.com. Um, you find there, we have a ton of free YouTube videos and yes, we have services and programs to help people like launch their funds or lawyers to come in and other stuff. But like at, at a base level, I think just, if you want to learn about funds, fundlaunch.com. And from there we have, we have events, we do other cool stuff, but go grab that free course fundlaunch.com and, and, uh, just get it. You can give it to your friends, family, whoever, just, I think more people need to understand this game of funds and at least learn what's going on. Cool. Awesome. I appreciate you saying that. And then Bridger Pennington on all the socials. Yes. Bridger Pennington, Bridger underscore, underscore Pennington. I think I'm the only Bridger Pennington online at least, which is a pretty nice. unique name for yeah, sure. It's kind of a unique name. So YouTube, we got a ton of content there, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere, you know, any social media, we, we post a lot of content. Cool. And, uh, just to wrap things up, you know, one goal that I do have as I'm out here in Kansas city, and I always keep putting it out there cause you got to put it out there is to build a uh, world-class uh, athletic facility for a basketball team to come. Because mm, as you know, cool. the Utah Jazz originated in Kansas City. Okay? And so maybe we could build a fund and bring a basketball team. Not keep yours in the Utah, but <laughs> to bring a basketball team back to Kansas City, build an awesome sports complex. I appreciate you coming on the That's show. I appreciate fun. you sharing all of your knowledges, uh, all your wisdom, everything that you got going on. You're a super successful guy. I know that you're just getting started. I can't wait to see what happens in the next 20 years with what you got going on. I hope you have a great trip, kicking ass in hella skin, enjoying all life got to offer and uh, raising your kids along the way. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much, Troy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
All right, guys, peace. Did you ever want to invest in real estate? Did you ever want to live the life of your dreams? Did you want financial freedom? We have a free Facebook group, the Millionaire Mentorship Facebook group for real estate investing. Make sure you join. The link is in the description. If you want to schedule a free call with me and my team and you actually want to start, I would suggest you do so. We have helped hundreds of people change their lives and all they had to do was get started. They booked a call with me and my team and they got the ball rolling. And I'm so confident that if you don't get your first or next investment property within the first 90 days, you don't pay and I'll give you a thousand dollars cash. That's how confident I am. Obviously, you gotta take action. You can't just do nothing and expect that to happen, but that's life. Life's all about taking action. Make sure you give this podcast a five-star review, share it with a friend and take action. 